all right, gentlemen, we'll drive right in uh, this uh, week because I just think that there's so much going on that we don't have the the luxury of of spending time on uh, unserious uh, unserious topics. Uh, the the thing that I think is you know first off that we have to start with is that we're recording as uh, the speaker fight has yet to be resolved uh, in uh, the Congress, and th- there seems to be increasing likelihood that uh, some version of empowering Patrick McHenry is uh, going to be where they where they end up. We've talked about this speaker battle before in the context of 2024. Uh, just real quick, do, do we still sort of think that this doesn't really matter uh, in t- except it within the context of, you know, Republican sort of congressional capability, their fundraising prospects and the like? Um, or do we think that it does matter just in the sense that Matt Gates picked the worst possible time to pull this stunt and now everyone is is stuck in a situation where you know they're being asked to help israel being asked to weigh in on all these different things uh and they can't do it because they don't have a speaker who looks the worst in this situation and does it matter uh in terms of the next year's election it, it matters a little bit right now but i think as events unfold it could end up mattering a lot more or, or ultimately not at all when you only control you know, one of the three sort of elected components of government, right, with the House, the the Senate and the presidency, you know, the House is the only place where Republicans have a way to, from within government, drive a message. And they've been knocked off that for the last couple of weeks. And it's, you know, given, you know, and whatever, you know, whatever is going on right now that the president's doing or not doing or Democrats in Congress are doing or not doing, this continues to give them just basically a cudgel just to beat Republicans of, well, we would do that thing, except there's uh, dysfunction. Now, if all this gets sorted out in the next couple of weeks or there's there is some way to do the bare essentials of, of governance, you know, pass a, a you know defense authorization bill to fund the government for, you know, till the remainder of the fiscal year, however long they do it. Uh, to essentially do just just do the stuff to keep the lights on, then I, I don't think there's a huge um, long-term consequence. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if those things become you know, if we have a, a you know government shutdown of some period of time, uh, you know, if we're not able to deliver aid to Israel, uh, if we're not able to you know even you know even for those that want to pursue an impeachment inquiry more aggressively, when you're not able to organize the House to do that kind of stuff. I think there could be bigger long-term consequences. And, you know, I, and I think that what we're seeing now is sort of symptomatic of some of the bigger problems that are, you know, going on within the Republican party or within sort of associated actors on the right. So it's, it's, it's too early to tell, uh, but I would rather not be in this position than be in this position. I'll say that it matters in a couple of ways. Um, no, kind of no matter what, that's not to say it matters a whole lot, but it matters at the margins. And and one is that, you know, the whole fight and the internecine fight and the way that Jordan allies, even if not Jordan himself, have conducted this latest round um, it matters from a standpoint of like how, how much of every dollar of donations to Republicans in the House going forward goes to a useful task like defeating Democrats in those districts and how much of that money that otherwise would have been put to useful tasks goes to punishment primaries, you know, Matt Gates and co bloviating Nancy Mace's spirit journey, whatever, you know, trip she's on, how much of that money is rerouted to the useless grifter wing of the, you know, uh, GOP influencer slash candidate slash member 
uh, network. That that matters at the margins, just like it matters that you know all the cash being donated to Trump is being distributed to white shoe law firms in Washington and New York and and Miami um, for his legal defense. I mean that that stuff will matter at the margins. Um, Secondly, it is interesting that Trump endorsed, you know, Jordan full throatedly and that he failed by a wider margin than McCarthy did, who who Trump obviously and predictably abandoned and said he never supported in the first place. So that matters a little bit, even if the, the you know, you know, Ben, I think this is your position, John, this is your position as our resident house insider uh, already. But it but it all it also kind of, you know, I don't think that those guys who voted against those members who voted against Jordan did so to spite Trump or really that his um, his endorsement really has mattered one way or another. The internal dynamics of the House, um, personal grudges, um, you know, policy, procedural policy beefs, those things all matter more than presidential politics. But in the past, we've seen loyalty to Trump, uh, you know, Trump everything, right? It, 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 it's above every other consideration. And that's not what happened here. I don't think this is a sign of a some massive revolt or, or some catastrophic loss in Trump's influence. But, you know, it, it matters, especially if Jordan loses additional votes on a, you know, on, on the subsequent rounds. I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, potentially a little bit of a, a preview or, a, you know, a, a leak in the dam. Um and we'll have to see where that goes. Just in terms I, of I, I, just one thing, yeah. I agree 100 percent that I think that President Trump is immaterial to what's going on in the House right now. Um, mm. I, I think if you were somebody who's 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 if you're a member for Trump's persuasion matters, you were already with Jim Jordan. Um, the, the only thing that I think is going to be interesting, and I do believe that this is going to happen, uh, that matters for 2024 is how much this factors into the. Uh, the primary side of things, because look, the the fact is that I'm not sure that there's going to be any capability, just given the the slim margins that they have, to hold anybody accountable. Even though Matt Gates deserves to get the Steve King treatment, meaning kicked off your committees, uh, you know, primary funding for your opponent, that type of thing, because you've been so detrimental to your party. But we'll see how that plays out, because it, it's the kind of thing that can be. A major distraction uh, during a very you know narrow cycle in which they need to hold the house, uh, and I also think that we don't know what Kevin McCarthy is going to do in terms of the the money side of things. He was out with a gigantic fundraising number uh, from this past quarter, uh, as we all expected him to have, and he's you know the biggest money man in the house. And and you know whether whatever McHenry is going to be able to do, he's not going to be able to go around raise money like that. Uh, same, you know, frankly, with with Jordan, he would have had a lot of trouble uh, doing that. So I, I think the fundraising matters and the way that this inter this internal dispute of personalities plays out uh, is going to be a, a factor as well. But I agree. And on, and on the primary side, too, Ben, you know, the it, it, it it's not a new phenomenon for Republicans to ev even use the the public, the bully pulpit to criticize rhino eyes uh, their colleagues in the house that kind of um you know uh cannibalism has has been going on for at least 10 you know 12 15 years what's new about it though is allies and leadership itself or potential would-be leadership itself leading that charge i just don't know how you can have a functioning house majority when you know the the allies and the institutional architecture you know the think tanks and the you know right-wing publications that are backing the jordan push 
are themselves the guy who wants to be speaker is is him you know and his allies are themselves saying we're going to primary a bunch of our incumbents i mean just mm-hmm. it's it's literally unimaginable for mcconnell to say anything within a thousand miles of that um you know mcconnell's overriding instinct overriding directive his entire time as leader has been to protect incumbents whether they're conservative moderate you know communist crazy idiots whatever it's it's all about protecting incumbents and you can say what you want about that being instrumentalist or cynical but it's 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 i think an effect you know a, a key part of being an effective leader you can't afford to have principles if you're the, if you're the leader of a <laughs> of a political party so anyway i think that's interesting it's novel i don't know how you how you build a majority when when your leaders are saying we're just gonna you know primary the rhinos out of existence um or or put it less put it less uh loaded terms not we're gonna primary the rhinos out of existence but how about you know people in biden districts people in districts yeah. biden won you have to protect your members you know whether you, you know whether they're moderates are just mainstream conservatives who happen to have whatever name recognition or great on the ground operations or great constituent services that got elected in a plus two or plus three Biden district. You need to protect those guys. And that's not what Jordan's allies. I think I I think that the one other aspect of this before we move on is uh, people who like Jim Jordan and people who don't like Jim Jordan uh, hate Matt Gates, (laughs) meaning meaning that if, if you like Jim Jordan and you wanted him to eventually become speaker, you hate the fact that Gates pulled what he did, which essentially forced Jordan into a situation where he had to scramble because he was just the automatic fallback, uh, you know, after Scalise, uh, where he hadn't been building up to this run at all. You know, and he would have, I think, you know, done a lot of things differently or worked a lot of relationships differently. Uh, if he had thought he'd be running for speaker, you know, as opposed to, you know, doing it years down the line. Uh, and I also think, you know, frankly, that that the the anti-Jordan uh, side of things uh, is just like, great, you blew this up and you had no plan. You know, even if you had Jordan, at least, you know, we would have uh, you know, Jordan had the ability to convince a bunch of these uh, radicals that uh, you could have a CR through April. You could, you know, navigate around that, et cetera. Um, so everybody's mad, and uh, and I think that that's going to play into you know the the primaries and into the fundraising uh, next year, and we'll see what plays out. Um, let's shift to the uh, obviously major issues of foreign policy that are now taking over the conversation entirely politically. Um, Joe Biden is currently on a trip uh, in uh, to the Middle East. Uh, where you know it's kind of a mixed message thing. The, this uh, hospital uh, explosion—you can't call it a bombing because it looks uh, very much to be a, a rocket uh, that uh, went awry. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and frankly, if you haven't heard the audio released of the people talking about it, um, it does. Uh, I believe it was Emily Zanotti on Twitter had the point. This is very much the office terrorist edition of, of, of just sort of Bill Bill screwed up again, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the the flip side of I think that that, you know, attempt by the Biden administration to clean up in their meandering, doddering way is how we see the reactions playing out uh, among the people who want to replace him. Uh, you have uh, Trump kind of giving this initial anti-Netanyahu statement and then basically spending a week, it feels like, trying to walk it back. Um, and you had uh, you know, some of Trump's acolytes really change their tune, basically, of, of like being critical and then like trying to make up for it. Uh, the the other thing is that you have going on here is that, you know, a, a number of responses have been given by 
Ron DeSantis and by Nikki Haley that I think are very interesting. Uh, the the Haley initial response seemed to be kind of an old old guard Republican response about you know potentially taking Gaza refugees. You had DeSantis, you know, firing back at that, and then it seemed like everybody moved in his direction pretty quickly. Of no, we don't have to do that, and the, the countries in the region should. Uh, DeSantis also had this moment, which got profiled on the Today Show, of sending planes over there to uh, pick up uh, Americans who were uh, who wanted, you know, and dual citizens who wanted to get back home, bringing back almost uh, three hundred people, uh, and as well as sending uh, planes with uh, other resources and things like that, which he has the power to do. Uh, so when you evaluate kind of the, the the situation as it stands, who do you think benefits from this scenario uh, and who do you think is hurt by it? And does it do anything to kind of make people take these candidate selections a little more seriously, just given the gravity of what's going on and the, and the priority that I think now is going to factor into at least the primary of foreign policy mattering a lot more? I... I think, you know, I kind of suggested this last week and I, I, it's, it's coalesced a little bit more in my head. I, it, it will, it will matter. The problem with it mattering is Trump is up by 50 points, right? So it, you know, it, it, it will move those polls. I'm pretty confident of that, but 50 points is a big number. It's bigger than 10 in case uh, those in the audience didn't know that. And uh, I don't know if it's possible for it to matter that much. I mean, I, you know, th there are it's it's interesting that the two kind of most viable alternatives to Trump are the two folks with the with the biggest sort of foreign policy bent Haley with direct experience in the Trump administration and DeSantis um, just as a sort of a careful thinker and a, and a veteran and, and all those other things. Um, and, you know, th they're going to get some more airtime. I think what's it's interesting, you said that the DeSantis thing, I didn't even know this until you said it was profiled on the Today Show, because I remember looking at all of this happening on social media and just thinking, like, he's not going to get a drop of credit for this because it's not. No, he actually got quite yeah. a bit of quite a bit of mainstream. The, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. You should take the time to watch the segment because uh, it's they get to him about a minute and a half into it, maybe two minutes into it. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I. I just think it's funny because it's like this, oh, this great, cool, you know, this thing is happening. Oh, and he did it. You know, like we have yeah, to kind of, yeah. uh, you know, grudgingly admit Ron DeSantis did a thing that we like. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and that's that's interesting. I mean, you know, that that could move, move the needle a small amount. Haley, uh, the, the you know, that's another thing. You know, she she walked back that we should take refugees thing. And, and she she said that she was sort of taken out of context or that, you know, her people said she didn't really mean it or whatever. Um, but it, but you're right that the, you know, that the position, you know, coalesced closer to the DeSantis position. Um, I, you know, I also think, uh, you know, that every time Trump talks about this stuff, it hurts him a little bit. Again, 50 points is a big number, but he's so bad at this stuff. And he's, you know, he's talking about, you know, there was that clip the other day where he was talking about the the massacre and then a fly like flew in front of his face and he talked about and he went off the, on this jag about flypaper like he the ADHD in the gravity of the moment, you know, and the Trump, you know, freeform jazz odyssey does not they don't mix well. So and, I, you know, I also the other thing that's kind of relevant and, you know, it's a great point. It's a point that, you know, should be shattered from the rafters, but it's another one of those things that doesn't seem to matter um with with trump's base but no rothman has this piece uh, a couple days ago about how 
you know, Trump's it's what we were talking about last week. Trump's policy in the Middle East, President Trump's policies in the Middle East were pretty good and pretty successful. And um, and they were risky at the time, whether it's Soleimani or, or, or Jerusalem or whatever. They were considered risky, including by, you know, guys like me, you know, rhinos like me. But they were successful. You can't argue with it. But but Rothman's point is that he's now anathematized. Trump has now anathematized and crapped all over everyone who was responsible in his administration for conceiving, executing, um, and defending those policies. Um, so, I mean, you know, again, th that sort of argument doesn't seem to move uh, high propensity Trump voters, but, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. It's, it's going to be hard for him to take credit for a foreign policy when he has essentially anathematized his entire foreign policy team, except for, you know, Kushner. And then Kent turned around and praised Hezbollah as being very smart. Yeah, but I mean, you these things have right. I mean, like, yeah, that should be disqualifying, right? But I mean, at this point, you know, we he he says some new crazy shit every day, as as everyone you know points out that just you know washes away the crazy shit he said the day before. I, it, I will say the one guy that does seem like he's lost a little bit of altitude in all of this, and really has for the last few weeks, even before all this. Uh, is, is our guy, you know, 9-11 truther, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, who has just been, you know, the the guy just stepping on a field of rakes lately, you know, basically saying that, you know, people's interest in Israel was, you know, to some degree, you know, uh, what was his term, the corrupting influence of super PACs on the process, um, you know, where he's saying that you know, some of the horrible the 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 yeah I I want to be careful I want to be careful here just because he always says that people misquote him the the he was doing kind of a long thing about corrupting influence of money in politics and super PACs and uh and think tanks and military industrial complex and stuff like that but he did not he did it in a very messy way and while he wasn't actually saying that like people back Israel because of money. That's what you get when you hear that kind of word salad. Uh, and uh, and he went on Sean Hannity afterwards, and Hannity uh, was reading his quotes, like was reading the exact quotes uh, correctly. Uh, and he was saying, well, that's not, you know, th th I'm being misquoted or whatever. But he wasn't being misquoted. It's just that I think he wished that he hadn't given the quote or that he had thought it through before he said what he said. Uh, but you, but can't, you, can't be the, you can't be the smartest guy in the room and hold that out and do that kind of dumb shit. Yes, it's just, I would compare it very closely to the 9-11 truther stuff that he did, which was like, again, he wasn't actually saying, you know, he, he was saying, you know, we don't know the full story. And then afterwards he's like, well, I meant like Saudi involvement. And it's like, okay, but did you really want us to take that away from it? Or did you want other people? I mean, it's the it's the classic uh, scenario, uh, which I think, um, uh, you know, uh, Dan, I think you've mentioned before, uh, but uh, maybe maybe not. It's uh, that every, you know, you're sending up this whistle and yeah. you want to do it in just the right way where the people who like you can say, oh, that's not what he meant. And the people yeah. who are like, who want you to mean that other thing are like, we know he really meant the thing. And that's also very, you know, much of, of Vivek's Trumpian act. So anyway, sorry, sorry to interject. Yeah, and it's also it's also like um you you say all of our discourse now is of the form I believe A, I say B, because I want my my listeners to hear C. So there's like three different things going on, you know. That's like you you're, you it's like uh like the buckshot method. You're trying to like get pellets all around what you're what you actually want your listener to take away. 
you know, with the hope that the, I don't know, the mathematical average is the, is the position that they ascri ascribe to you. So it's all just bank shot, indirect, um, Straussian kind of communications. Absolutely. But look, I think that this whole situation, and I think Dan, you kind of touched on it, is a perfect example of just like this, of this race and of where the state of the party is in a nutshell, is that, you know, Donald Trump says the thing and loves it. And Ron DeSantis actually does the thing and people just kind of shrug their shoulders uh, where, you know, it is being verbally transgressive is more important than actually putting points on the board. You know, and that seems to be how at least the, the polls are reflecting it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the thing that I think is is going to be interesting, though, and this is uh, this is just, you know, the, the dynamic of of early state. Uh, evangelicals and Christian vote mattering, you know, particularly in Iowa and South Carolina. Uh, I, I do think that this is a situation where questions are going to turn a lot more toward Israel. Uh, what you got, what you plan to do about it. Uh, and people are less willing to tolerate the kind of easy answer. I'm the outsider who will blow up the, the, you know, the paradigm and, uh, and absolutely make it work. Uh, way that you can approach other problems. Uh, and I think you you have a, a much more accrue to people who can come across as very uh, serious and competent and sensible on these things than in any other area of foreign policy. The two areas that matter the most, I think, you know, consistently, or that you get asked about the most, are not uh, are not Ukraine focused. They're not Russia focused. Uh, it's China focused, and it's and now it's going to be China and Israel. Um, and I think that that's stuff that tends to you know lend itself toward toward DeSantis and Haley for all the reasons that we that we said before the, they also of course came out with their uh financial reports and it was interesting to see what people picked out of them i don't know if you gentlemen had a had a chance to to look at those uh it it definitely seems like DeSantis has uh you know has even though his uh, his numbers have trended downward, he's still you know sort of second in terms of of the amount of money that he's bringing in. Uh, Haley uh, is uh, third, you know, uh, and a very strong third, and has spent rather little less money than expected uh, over the last uh, quarter, even as her fortunes have have really increased. Uh, and so she's in a really good position. But you'd have to add them both together to get to the number that that Trump's at. That being said, that number is a transfer from, you know, the, the the political sort of pack side of his operation. It's not, you know, something that's going direct into his campaign, uh, you know, in terms of individual donors and the like. So, uh, you know, a big question that we just don't know the answer to because it's it's unclear based on the reports is how much of that money from Trump is going to those white shoe law firms that we all know are very expensive uh, and uh, can run through money very quickly. You know, look, this is this is going to be a situation, I think, where if you if you if you really look at things, you know, a month from now uh, or, or you know, as we near the end of this year with clearer and clearer that, you know, the idea that that, that, that there's really only two people who have the capacity and the, and the resources uh, to take on Trump and to have any you know ability to build on uh, some early success. Uh, in you know and the state that that DeSantis is concentrated on the most in Iowa and the state obviously where Haley has the most advantages in, in South Carolina, you know it, it really I feel like it, it needs to be said that thinning the thinning the herd, narrowing the field has to happen 
Uh, and I just wonder at some point, you know, uh, if there's going to be something that actually makes that happen, if it can happen quickly, uh, because it probably won't. And if it doesn't, uh, then there's going to be a lot of people pointing fingers uh, at people other than, you know, the DeSantis campaign or the Haley campaign, uh, because they feel like they never got a fair shot. I think one thing that, you know, if you're if you're DeSantis and Haley, and I know I think we've tried talking about this you know, offline. If I'm them right now, I go find some sort of media vessel that will host it, and I have a more full form debate. Not, I don't think the attention span for everyone today is, you know, uh, the, the the sixty minutes, ninety minute, thirty minute rebuttal kind of thing. But I think that those two represent two, you know, meaningful parts, you know, of the Republican coalition. I think they're both serious people, and they're probably the only two that have any path whatsoever. To the nomination, which I th- still think is a extremely narrow one, but I think it would be clarifying. I think it would be interesting. It would not be. It would get you outside of the circus that the last debate was, um, and I think it would be. I think it would be accretive to both of their campaigns to to be able to have you know that exchange of views um, about these issues. Where I think that they're, you know, I think most of the other candidates, you know, Ramaswamy aside, are, are are serious people, but they're not you know, serious actors in this race in the standpoint of they're not going to make it to to the final stage. Um, so, you know, I, I think there, I think there's an opportunity out there uh, if they want to take it for themselves. I guess, who was it? Was it Christian Ramaswamy? And then the RNC put the, the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you're hailing DeSantis. And that again was not even a debate. It was simply a, a mutual appearance on a TV show. I'm sure yeah. it would have turned into a debate. But the point is, like, it wasn't branded as a debate. It wasn't, you know, that we're going to have moderators in time and things like that. It's just, we're going to be on a TV show together. And it's, yeah. it's disappointing that that got walked back. Because, I mean, for both of those guys, it cuts across brand. Why is Ramaswamy let the Washington insiders tell him what to do? And when was the last time Chris Christie, you know, let anyone tell him what to do? Um, but, you know, I, I think you've got, I mean, break through. Be, be transgressive in a way that that works for you. Yeah. Um, well- well, the one more thing is just that, you know, just given, again, the fundraising question, it's at a certain point, it's kind of like, what can the RNC really hold over these two campaigns? Exactly. What can they threaten? There's there's nothing that they can really threaten them with uh, or bargain with them for, you know, in order to prevent them from doing something like that, you know, either in a, I, I think that, you know, you would want to do it more than once. You would basically say, look, we we're two people who take uh, you know, American uh, security and foreign policy seriously. We're going to go and we're going to do a debate. We're going to do one in Texas that's about the border. We're going to do one that is, uh, you know, in New York that uh, you know works with Fox or something that that is about uh, foreign policy in Israel. Uh, you know, we're going to do one that's you know, uh, you know, you know, pick pick your pick your poison of where you where you want to do it. But you know, th- this the idea that they're going to get a better debate in Miami hosted by NBC with perhaps some token questions from some Salem uh, radio hosts. I, I just am very skeptical that it's going to be any better than anything we've seen to this point. Totally. And and I think John's idea is brilliant. And it, it one thing that should be added to it is, you know, you're, there's a very unique dynamic here, which is that the RNC, as it is currently constituted, is Trump's creature. McDaniel is a Trump creature. The whole infrastructure of the party has been repopulated by Trump loyalists. And 
your voters don't give a crap about the RNC or official Republicandom. They're suspicious of the whole thing. So you have this weird, you know, and very unique dynamic that's very much worth exploiting, where the very same voters who, you know, who sort of saw to it or enabled the takeover of the RNC and the Republican infrastructure by Trump loyalists also don't care that much about the brand, integrity, standing, power of the party apparatus. And it would absolutely be brilliant for DeSantis and Haley and really anyone to take advantage of that odd congruence of factors. And if someone criticizes you and says you're not a team player or whatever, you can say, you you know, you avail yourself of exactly that defense. You know, they invited NBC News into our house. They, yeah. opened, they opened the door. They unlocked the door. They let him in. And I'm not going to, you know, stand by while the, the rhinos who run the RNC establishment you know, let the mainstream media dictate, you know, the important topics in this in this, you know, critical election. And, we're we're going to reach out directly to voters. And it's not like this RNC particularly, you know, like in this is not the old days of the Haley Barber RNC where there was this assumption of credibility and uh, and you could take them seriously in terms of the work that they did. This is this RNC is viewed, you know, by a lot of people as a joke. Uh, and just not only is it a joke, I mean. Look at what they're do look at what's happening in Virginia, right? Completely checked out. Yep. In, in one of the five states that's having elections in this off off year. And at at a certain point, you just have to say, you know, it's you gotta take matters into your own hand. It's like, you know, it's like the you know, having keystone cops you know, guarding your house. At some point, you should probably buy an AR, you yeah. know? <laughs> so I do want to talk about Trump for a minute. Um, obviously, his legal woes uh, have continued over the past uh, week. And uh, and now we have these gag orders uh, in place. Uh, there's one, you know, in the in the Tanya Chutkin uh, place uh, uh, case, uh, which has been has been touted in the media as being narrow, but from my perspective is not. Uh, in fact, uh, the the one that's in the other case uh, does seem to be uh, more narrow. That's the Letitia James uh, case. Uh, Letitia James, uh, <laughs> uh, Trump is out there with a Truth Social post uh, currently attacking her, uh, and in it, uh, linking to a uh, an article by one uh, uh, white nationalist, Laura Loomer, uh, which uh, has a bunch of documents, including the home address of Letitia James. <laughs> so I, I kind of think that there's going to be some consequences to this, but if a, in a sense where you have these gag orders. Given that Trump is essentially, you know, impossible to gag, doesn't having these gag orders and not enforcing them kind of make it worse? Because if they are going to enforce them, you know, and, and they come down on him like a ton of bricks on these cases that, you know, frankly, I think people aren't paying as much attention to. Um, I, I just think the reaction to it would be very negative. The idea that, you know, oh, what, he can't insult the, the judges in his cases where he thinks he's being, you know, completely maligned. Uh, I don't know. It just it, I think it's a dangerous game to put these gag orders in place and then not enforce them. Uh, but I, but I also feel like it's very hard to see them doing that. I, don't know, I just I, I just come from a perspective where the rule should apply equally to anybody, to everybody. And if mm -hmm. any of us did that or anyone listening to this podcast did that, you know, there would be significant consequences. And, you know, I don't. You know, some people, and I, there's some people on the right that even I respect were sort of of the opinion, and I and I see where they're coming from. That you know, as sort of the leading political opponent of the sitting president, you know, that there is you know there's sort of consequences to this. But like, at what point do, do we have to point out that Trump isn't a child, right? He's doing this to himself. It's not being done to him. 
um, you know, basically trying to target, you know, just some clerk in a court who's just doing her job, you know, I think it's that kind of stuff is gross. I mean, it's uh, well, no, 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 but let me interject here. I think it's a different, but isn't it a different standard though, when it's a clerk versus Jack Smith, like the gag sure, order, he's, that he's they more put of a in, political figure. Yeah. I understand. But the gag order that they put in on Monday prohibits him from publicly targeting quote unquote Jack Smith. So like that to me seems like, ah, really? He can't say Jack Smith. Like, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like that's, I don't get, I don't get Americans kind of feeling like that's something that you can't do, you know? Uh, well, I, think, I think the Democrats would say that it is, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I, I, you know, I think we, you know, it's, it's what proportion of Republicans don't think it is. I'd assume that there's, if you did polling, probably a majority of Americans would say that it's, you know, it, it best unseemly. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the I see the point, and I I see the degree that what it's political speech. But like, let's remember, like all of this, including the president's actions in advance of and on January sixth, led to this. He mm. did this to himself. This is an own goal, and yeah. you know, we can we can we can debate the merits of whether uh, you know how this is being handled. And again, I think you you and others make a compelling point around you know about the political speech of this. But like he he drove himself into this cul-de-sac. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but you know what? And look, I am not a lawyer, as as we should all point out. We're <laughs> none of none of us are lawyers. But you know, the first that's it's no 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 that's good. It's good. It's good to remember that. It's it's why we still have a narrow shot at heaven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, you know, we have all of our political rights and we can't have them infringed upon without due process of law this, this is a court proceeding right almost almost definitionally unless you can find that the judge acted with utter disregard for the usual procedure you know legal procedures almost by definition trump has due process in this case and there's lots of you know rights that are abridged or temporarily you know constricted when you're dealing with a you know, an official proceeding like this. Um, so I so I don't think facially there's anything that violates the First Amendment about it. Now, could this process be abused by Democrat judges and a power structure and a and a Justice Department and a and a um and a landscape that's that's very anti-Trump and very pro-Democrat generally? Of course it can be abused. But but you know, that's why there's an appeals process. That's yeah. why this is going to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. I think in general, it's it's completely justified to have a guy, let's not forget, I mean, whatever you think about the charges, right? The the RICO stuff, those are exactly the cases in which judges issue these gag orders because in the battle days, you know, when the mafia was a real going concern, they would intimidate jurors, intimidate judges, intimidate prosecutors, sometimes shoot and kill them, you know? Yes. So there so there are very so there are very good reasons for having gag orders, right? And you know, <laughs> I guess I would say if there was no history of Trump saying things that encouraged his voters to interfere with official <laughs> proceedings, then I would be a little bit more sympathetic to this point. But I feel like there's something well, he's I turned can't, over a new leaf. <laughs> I can't put I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like his supporters have interfered in official proceedings in the past. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something I'm on the edge of my memory. I'll have to I'll have to think about that. Uh, one last thing before we uh, wrap up. Uh, John's favorite topic. <clears throat> uh, we haven't. We officially have a major independent presidential candidate now. Uh, 
Uh, RFK Jr.'s announcement that he's going to run uh, as an independent is still uh, a little up in the air because it's not clear what uh, you know ballot access he's going to what how he's going to seek ballot access if he leans on uh, you know potentially one of the you know major entities that has uh, ballot access currently. I cannot see no labels possibly going along with having him as their candidate, though. I still maintain that I think they will have a major candidate and we'll see who that ends up being. Um, and I, I think that his presence though is already being felt, uh, but it's not necessarily going according to uh, the assumptions that I think people necessarily had about him. There is a new poll uh, out released uh, from uh, NPR PBS news hour uh, done by Marist uh, which shows that, uh, uh, you know, in a three-way race, Joe Biden leads uh, Trump 44 to 37 percent and Kennedy takes 16 percent. Uh, it shows a 10-point drop among Republicans for Trump if RFK uh, Jr. is available as a candidate. So I think that this is interesting. I think that it's exactly what I would have expected to happen, which is that uh, the vast majority of RFK fans uh, are are you know not actually uh, people who are not automatically for for Biden. Uh, I think it's a it's a much more it's a much different group of people. Uh, how much do we think that this matters? I, well, I'll, I'll go first. I I I think it matters. It, you know, I still think if I was a betting man, I would say that Kennedy is not a choice on the vast majority of ballots, not a live choice on the vast majority of ballots, if not all ballots on election day, I can't see him following it all the way through. I think the poll actually increases the likelihood that he follows it all the way through because it'll back off some of the heat from uh, far left Democrats, weird Democrats, for lack of a better term, um, who would, you know, sort of take the, the Ralph Nader position or Green Party position towards him, which is that you're you're ruining our guy's chances. This poll changes that narrative. So it makes it a little bit likelier that he gets there. But for some reason, I just can't get my head around the idea of him following through on this thing for the next year. Maybe I'll eat my words. Um, but if, if he does, I mean, it's significant. I was a little surprised. I didn't know where Kennedy's support was really coming from. Um, I think the, the the category of person that this pisses off most, this polling, especially if it holds with a couple of follow-ups, is the kind of more or less traditional movement conservative who sold out their principles and started sort of like making MAGA noises um, because they thought it was sort of instrumentally useful in securing electoral victories. Now you see that all it took to draw away the low propensity voters or the or the weird independent voters that you were counting on for these, you know, um, you know, inside straight draw electoral victories that you, that you have to root for if you're a, a Trump person. All that it took was this shiny object of a, you know, kind of completely incoherent neither fish nor fowl candidate and Kennedy to evaporate the, you know, the people who you added to your coalition that made it possible to win as a Donald Trump without the traditional uh, Republican coalition. Um, so if I were those people, I'd be, you know, pretty ticked off and pretty bummed out about this polling because 
as quickly as they flocked to Trump, they could flock to a new shiny object that doesn't fit this sort of red team, blue team, you know, paradigm that that dominated American politics before. Look, I, I just think, again, this is uh, my perspective is this is a good demonstration of the percentage of Americans uh, who really, really listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> because that's the only place that RFK has really been living uh, for the last uh, several months. Uh, John, what do you think about this? I mean, I think it does sort of highlight what Nate Silver had been saying, which is, you know, that that Kennedy wasn't really ever going to hurt Biden and may actually help him. Right. And I think for all the reasons sort of Dan just mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, the ballot access is a thing. I, I think the other what we've seen over time with third party candidates is uh, they're at their high watermark. The furthest the farther out you are from Election Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that, that Kennedy is going to be somebody like a Ross Perot who like just totally, I think, fit the zeitgeist back in uh, you know ninety two, and obviously was willing, was able to put a lot of his own money into the race. Um, you know, so uh, it, you know how much you know, and how much really scrutiny has RFK Jr. got? Right? Are there the stories yet about you know? And I know he contests these, but you know whether it's the anti-vax stuff or the, you know, especially now with Israel, the the you know some of the weirdness you know around his views on those kind of things. You know, I, I, I think if there was a three-way race, I don't think Kennedy is anywhere close to polling 16% on election day. Um, but you know, time will tell. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I remain convinced that the, the likelihood of having a strong third candidate uh, in multiple swing states uh, is very high. Uh, and now that doesn't mean that it's Kennedy. I just think that there's going to be... It, in this election, with the level of unpopularity, the level of questions around these two candidates that we have, uh, I just think that you're going to have larger than margin situations in multiple states and potentially with different candidates, uh, you know, meaning, you know, uh, does Kennedy uh, hurt Biden in, uh, uh, you know, in, in some of these random states where, you know, it's there's a, enough of a weird faction that there's that he can appeal to them. Uh, definitely possible, you know, is uh, is a no labels candidacy, which, you know, as a party, you know, the first state that they got registered in uh, was Arizona. And they now have more party members there, I believe now four times as many party members uh, as the margin was last time between Biden and Trump. So the, the point is, we could end up with a lot of different kind of Ralph Nader like situations, I think. Uh, in this next election, which will allow everyone to blame everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's not our fault. It's it's just this jerk. You know? Trump, Trump 2028. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it never stops. It never stops. So anyway, uh, for Dan, for John, I'm Ben Dominich, and uh, this has been Thunderdome. Uh, we uh, encourage you to go to thespectator.com, sign up for our newsletters, our uh, magazine. Uh, we have a great new uh, issue out uh, that is uh, that is going up on the website right now, but that you can also get in print, which I encourage you to do. It's a beautiful magazine. Uh, we will be back next week with more Thunderdome to continue walking you through this crazy 2024 cycle.